We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Right. Well, good evening. We are finishing our series, Life in the Kingdom, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Christ about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Um, And if you remember way, way, way back, our kind of key verse was Matthew 4, uh, 23 through 25, specifically 23, where it says, Jesus was going throughout the Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so we've been trying to trace this gospel of the kingdom. What does that mean? What does that look like? And we looked at first kind of the characteristics of the people of the kingdom in chapter five, looking at the Beatitudes and salt and light, that there are certain characteristics that we have as citizens of the kingdom and certain responsibilities to be salt and light to our world. And then we looked at the relationship of law to the people of the kingdom of God. Um, Chris walked us through the how it's the heart, right? It's not the, etern- the external application, the uh, works itself, but what is the heart of the people behind their activity? And we talked a little bit about how Christ completed the law, that the kingdom is the completion of the expectation of the Old Testament, that a Messiah would bring salvation to his people, all right? And as we live in the here, looking forward to his return, what does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom, expecting his second return? So we talked about that. We talked about the actions of the people of the kingdom of God in chapter 6. Uh, looked at how you are supposed to live out your religious life. Yet again, it's about the heart. Okay, It's not just giving to other people, but what is your motivation behind the giving? Um, what is your uh, desire in doing that? We talked about prayer. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about fasting and how we as Christians do that in this world to serve others and do that from a right heart. And then last time, uh, with the beginning of chapter 7, we looked at um, within relationships, what, what does it look like when it comes to areas of wisdom, prayer, neighbors? Um, how do we as citizens in the here, you know, in this tension between when Christ came, his first coming and his second coming, uh, what does it look like to live out the life? And today we're going to wrap it up with looking at kind of the conclusion, Christ's conclusion. Um, And there's going to be three big sections, three points um, that we're going to talk about as Jesus completes this sermon, as he kind of wraps up this series. Um, The first thing we're going to look at is the entrance. Okay, what is the entrance into the kingdom? Since we've talked about life in the kingdom. Well, how do you get into the kingdom? What's the way to uh, reach salvation, become a uh, follower of Christ? And so that's his first point. And with all of these points, Christ gives two contrasting examples to kind of drive home the point. So with the entrance, we're going to look at two gates, a narrow gate and a wide gate and compare those two different ways. Then uh, we're going to look at the evidence. What's the evidence that someone is a follower of Christ, that someone is part of the kingdom? And yet again, he's going to give two examples. He's going to give two different trees that produce two different types of fruit so that you know which ones are Christians and which ones are not. 
and because I had two out of three E's, I strived really hard to get a third E, because why not? Uh, so we're going to go with edifice, like a building, right? Um, and here he's going to talk about two foundations. What are the two contrasting foundations in the world? Uh, so entrance, evidence, edifice, the two gates, the two trees, and the two foundations. How do we as Christians live in this world? What's, how do we get into the kingdom? What's the evidence that we're a part of the family of God? Okay, and what our foundation should be. So if you will, turn to Matthew 7, the passage that Jordan read earlier, and we're gonna look at this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's final words in this passage. And so we'll start in chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, uh, yet again, our, our word here is entrance. There's one way, enter in. There's a command that begins this section. Um, we are to enter in through the narrow gate. And uh, he's applying it to the entire audience. It's a second person plural, which means he's, he's, it's a challenge for everyone listening, okay? All of you guys, okay, both at the time now and uh, people that read, um, enter into the na- narrow gate. That is your only hope. That is the only way, okay? Um, and we see this, he'll say this several times. You've probably heard the, more, uh, the other famous uh, chapter on this, John 14, 6. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay, can you be any more clear than that? Right? There's only one way. It's through the narrow gate. It's through Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That is our only hope, okay? That is our only hope. Um, Peter and John also pick up on this in Acts 4, 7 through 12. This is after they had healed the lame beggar and the Sanhedrin brought them in to ask, like, how did you do this? By what power did you do this? And this is their response. So this is Acts 4, starting in verse 7. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power, what name have you done this? Verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, verse nine, if we are on trial today for benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here before you. So if there's any clarity here, if there's any confusion, all right, it's Jesus. That's the way, okay? Not a way, as probably culture would like us to think, right? That there's multiple avenues, there's multiple ways, all roads lead to heaven, as long as I'm a good person. No, it's not that at all. It's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Peter continued, all right, um, let it be known by Israel, Jesus Christ, who stands here. Uh, verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, so yet again, it's pretty clear. All right, there's only one way. There's only one gate. And we are called by Jesus to enter through that narrow gate. Um, Now, he's going to give a warning also in verse 13, because most people don't. Most people go the other route, right? The other gate, the other direction, the other road. Um, So verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. So he gives them a warning. Your sin nature, your uh, laziness will be to go the other direction, right? It's a broad, open, easy route. It's attractive um, in our sin, okay? It's inviting, it's appealing. And so Jesus warns us against this. Don't go that direction. It seems easier, it seems simpler, but it goes the wrong way, right? It's like if you're trying to get to Oklahoma and you're like, well, 35 is big and open. I'm going to get on it, go south, all right? That's the wrong direction. Or if you're trying to get up to Sherman, right, you're going to go up uh, 377, some other direction. You've got to find the right road. And Jesus warns us that what's going to be inviting, what's going to be easy, what's going to be simple is the wrong answer, okay? That road leads to destruction, that wide open direction, Okay, and notice many people enter through it. It's the popular way. It's what culture is gonna tell you to do. Okay, it's gonna be what your friends are telling you. You've probably used this phrase. My parents use it all the time. If your friends all went and jumped off a cliff, would you do it? Okay, how many have used that or, or heard that? You know, everybody's heard that. And that's what Jesus is saying. They're all heading for a cliff, all right, that's not a good enough reason to go that direction. It only leads to destruction. It only leads to problems, okay? Instead, verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Seek the narrow gate. Seek Christ, All right? Don't go the easy route. Don't go the path to destruction. Seek the narrow route, Um. Narrow, the word there can also mean difficult and has this idea of, of difficulty, of striving, of possible persecution. And that's the Christian life, right? It's not easy. It's not simple, okay? It's, it takes work and effort, but it is worth it because it leads to where you want to go, all right? It leads to where you want to go. Um, few are willing to travel that difficult road because of the fact that it's hard to find, hard to get. It's a hard life, but it's worth it. And all you have to do is trust in Christ. Um, A beautiful picture of this, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the beginning of the book, um, the main character, Christian, runs into evangelist. An evangelist tells him about uh, the eternal city, and he points him in the direction. And the picture that Bunyan uses for this narrow gate is just a small little door in a wall. Okay, it's it's not this big open avenue. It's not this wide open interstate. It's a small little door. And then Christian asks, well, how in the world can I find it? And he says, do you you see yonder shining light? Keep that light in your eye and go directly there too. Go to the light, go to Christ, okay? Go to the cross. It 
you would think the story would be hard to find, but it's not. Christ is pointing out the direction. Just follow him. Seek him. So, entrance. Two gates. Two options. Are you going to go the big route? You're going to go the narrow way. Okay, you're going to go to destruction. You're going to go to eternal life. Which one are you going to seek? Um, our second point, the evidence. How do I know, okay, uh, that the people around me are part of the kingdom? How do I know that people have the eternal life? Well, he's going to address that in verse 15. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16. For you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, so uh, yet again, evidence. How do I know? Well, the fruit. Okay, and he has these pictures of these two trees, the good tree and the bad tree. And, and the word bad there has the connotation of, of a rotten tree, of a corrupt tree. Okay, so it's, it's bad in the sense of unhealthy. It's rotting. It's falling apart. Um, it, it's, it's not fully whole, okay? And he starts this section, the, the transition is to beware of false prophets, they may look good on the outside, right? They look like sheep. They look like something you would want to be a part of. But inwardly, they are wolves. And um, Jesus is referencing an Old Testament idea. We see this in a couple places in the Old Testament. I'll show you just one. Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-seven. Her princes, Israel's princes within her, are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. So if you want to know what Jesus is referencing here, he's using that imagery. Wolves tear apart everything. False prophets in the church, they're only there to destroy. They're only there to tear. Okay, so you need to be able to determine which ones are true and which ones are not. Um, I just finished reading a book on the prosperity gospel, and this verse really hit me. Because the prosperity gospel says, if you're not rich, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's evil. That is not what the Bible says. But why are they doing this? Why are they saying this? Why are these false prophets giving that kind of idea? Well, it's for, as Ezekiel says, in order to get dishonest gain. It's a lot of money to be made in the church. It's a lot of money to be made selling uh, your version of, of Christianity, all right? So you gotta be aware of these guys. Well, how do you tell which ones are true and which ones are not? Well, you know them by their fruits, verse 16. And he uses the example of grapes and, and figs. And he, it's, it's kind of a, he's using sarcasm, okay? You don't go to a thorn bush and expect to grab grapes, right? Has anybody raised grapes before? Okay, um, they're vines, right? They're vines. You don't go to a thorn bush and just magically expect there to be grapefruits or figs from thistles, All right? These are evil, terrible bushes <laughs> for anybody that's worked out in the thing. You don't want these kind of bushes around and you're not gonna get fruit for them. They're not gonna produce what you want. 
you can't find the fruit that you're looking for. And so he explains that even more so. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So we have these two trees. Which one are you? Okay, when people look at your life and they look at the fruit of your work and your service, is it good or is it bad? Is it leading people to Christ? Is it helping? Is it serving? Is it doing it out of a true heart? <clears throat> or is it leading people to destruction? Is it causing harm? All right, you can tell by their fruits. And then he gives a warning here, a warning. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So just like the broad way led to destruction, the bad tree leads to destruction. Both are headed the same direction. Both are headed for destruction. Both are heading towards the fire. Verse 20, so you will know them by their fruits. Okay, fruit um, in the New Testament has more than the connotation of just deeds, but everything they are. When you meet someone who's a new Christian, you can tell immediately, right? They're so excited to share the gospel. They're just beaming with this new news. And when people get around us, they should know just by how we treat people, the interaction we have with others, the way we treat our family, the way we do work, okay? So it has this connotation, not just good works, but your whole life. Does that reflect Christ? Does the fruit, does your life reflect Christ? Um, <clears throat> So judgment is coming. The fruit will reveal your heart. Uh, Jesus talks about this also in John 15, speaking of the vine, John 15, starting in verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, to this, uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So he's talking about the Christian life, right? Sometimes hard things come along so that we can grow and be formed. Uh, or if we're not producing fruit at all, you're taken away. So you're already claiming because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear the fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Notice here, in our first point, the answer was Christ. Our second point, the answer is Christ. Right? Did you enter through the narrow gate? Uh, narrow gate, right? Uh, professing faith in Christ, and are you abiding in Christ? And so that's how you produce fruit. That's how you grow. Um, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So just like we enter through Christ, then we abide in Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, verse six, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Same imagery here, all right? So the good tree, narrow gate, wide gate, the bad tree, which one are you? Are you headed for destruction? Or are you headed for eternal life? Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When people see you, do they see Christ? Do they know instantly that you are a follower of Christ? Or at least do they know that there's something different about you 
than the world. Um, Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his his love. These things I have spoken to you, so my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. So what does it look like to abide in Christ? It's to love him. It's to um, show fruit, right? And it's to obey his commandments, which is the theme of this entire Sermon on the Mount, right? Living out the law from a true heart, um, having fruit of the Spirit, um, exhibiting Christ to our neighbors in different situations. Uh, if you go back up through the Sermon on the Mount and the way we pray and the way we fast and the way we serve and the way we give and the way we treat others, in lawsuits, he even talks about that, in marriage, everything. Are we bearing fruit? Are we representing Christ well? Are we showing ourselves to be his disciples? Um, Okay, moving on from the evidence, he then talks about that destruction. Those guys, the bad fruit. Um, Verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Think about passage in John we just read, same idea, right? Those who love me will do my commandments as I do the Father's commandments. Um, Verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, re- repetition. Okay, one, one thing I want to point out. Look, notice he's, they say, Lord, Lord, every time. Um, that's to grab your attention. Jesus is pointing out that this is important. These guys are begging, okay, for entrance into the heaven. But they've sought the wide gate, haven't they? They are the bad fruit. They are the bad tree. And Jesus is going to reject them just as they rejected him. So this ties back to the wolves, right? The false prophets. These guys that come in Christ's name, that say they are pastors, that say they were followers of Christ, and even externally seem to have success, okay? But are they really truly disciples of Christ? No. And notice what Jesus says. Okay, Um, I never knew you. So are they abiding in Christ? Christ says, I never knew you to these people. No, there's no relationship. Okay, there's no abiding. And so what is their problem? They haven't entered the narrow gate. They haven't um, produced fruit. They haven't abided in the vine. Instead, they've tried to do it through their own power Okay, to gain prestige and attention for themselves. And then the second thing that Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So what's their other problem? They're not obeying. They're lawless. They're sinners. They are rejecting what Christ said. Uh, Remember that passage in John we just read about the vine? He said, they will know you because you obey my commandments. So these guys aren't doing that. They haven't obeyed Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ. They haven't entered through the narrow gate. They haven't produced fruit. Everything about them shows that they are not of us. Even though externally it might seem that way, since they are prophesying in his name, doing miracles, casting out demons, etc. All right. If you've been paying attention to the news 
lately, especially in like Christian circles, there has been so many false teachers being exposed recently of guys falling. If we find out that they've been having sexual relationships with underlings, there's people that have been abusing the church for power. Um, I just finished listening to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And you listen to how they used you know, media and, and culture in order to build up this kingdom. But at its core, they were like wolves. At its core, these people weren't following God. They weren't seeking the kingdom. They just were using externally this dress to seem like they were followers of God. <clears throat> um, Paul picks up with this in 1 Corinthians and puts kind of a slightly different chain, uh, kind of tinge on it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, if I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. It doesn't matter what you do. If you haven't entered into the narrow gate, if you haven't produced fruit, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not loving others, if people don't see Christ in you, it doesn't matter. No matter what miracles you might perform, how gifted you may be, how big your church size may be, how big your business may be, okay? If, if you don't have that core aspect, if you're not abiding in Christ, it doesn't matter. You are nothing. So entrance, okay, you got the wide path, you got the narrow path. Uh, we have um, now looked at the evidence and the two trees, Okay, now he finishes with the edifice, the building, and looking at two foundations. Verse 24. Therefore, so this is the big conclusion, right? The Sermon on the Mount's all headed towards this. This is his final kind of shot, this final kind of conclusion. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25 of Matthew 7. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who has built the house on the sand. Verse 27, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So um, Jesus knew how to do an invitation. <laughs> um, so he's saying, are you listening to what I have preached? Are you going to put it into practice? Okay, what is your foundation? Uh, and he starts with the positive example, right? So a person who does listen, a person who has heard everything he said, a person who has uh, listened to the narrow gate, the person who has listened to being the good tree is like a man who is built his house on the rock, a strong foundation, okay? And when the rain fell, so no matter what happens in life and eternal judgment, that person is safe, okay? They will not be burned in the end like the bad tree or the road to destruction, but they will survive. Those who listen and respond have a solid foundation and nothing can shake it because it's Christ. It's the word of God. It's putting your trust in Christ. However, if you don't, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, I, my brother is in construction. Um, I am not, so, but I do know that it's not wise to build on sand. Okay, because what happens when you put something on sand? Sand shifts, right? Sand moves. Sand is never permanent. And so if you are basing your foundation on the world, on culture, on your own abilities, you're in trouble because it'll shift, right? It'll go out from under you. When the rains come, it will fall. It's never stable. Sand is always shifting. As soon as you leave the word of God, if that is not your foundation, if you're not listening to Christ and putting your trust in him, you're going to crash. Um, One of my passions is church history. And, And you see this throughout church history. As soon as someone moves away from the word of God, things collapse. As soon as they stop trusting in Christ, as soon as they stop abiding in Christ, as soon as they stop trusting in his word, everything falls. Uh, And we've seen this here in America with higher education. You know, almost all of the Ivy League schools started out as Christian colleges to train ministers. But over time, that foundation shifted. They put it on sand. Human ability, human knowledge, right? And... Would any of you go there to get your seminary degree? Please don't, okay? Um, Because there's nothing there. It's just going to shift and fall apart. Um, So there's that eternal foundation, that strong foundation. And it's interesting, um, in the passage where Jesus said, I am the truth and the life, in John 14, he talks about eternal buildings, that eternal foundation. Uh, dwelling place. John 14, one through four, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If they're not so, I would have told you for I prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. So if you go through the narrow gate, If you go through Christ and put your trust in him, you have that solid foundation, that eternal hope, right? He is going to prepare a place for you. It's not based on our thoughts, our ideas, our concepts. It's based on Christ, right? So entrance, have you entered in the narrow gate or are you going down the wide path? Um, Evidence, does your life exhibit that you are a disciple of Christ? Are you producing fruit or are you going to be thrown away in the fire? And then finally building edifice. What is your foundation? What is your hope? Have you listened to the words of Jesus and acted on them? Then we see the conclusion. Uh, Verse 28. So the the aftermath, what is the response? Um, So this is Matthew 7, verse 28. Then Jesus had finished these words. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were shocked by his message. This got their attention. Why? Verse 29, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So in uh, Jewish culture, the scribes would always, when they taught, would always quote other teachers, 
Okay, so they say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said this, so this is what I think. Jesus is not doing that. He's telling them straight out. Why does he have that ability? Why does he have that power? He's the word of God, right? He is God. And so he has an authority this crowd has never seen. And so it leaves this story hanging. What's gonna be the reaction? Are they going to listen? Are they going to put an act on the words of Christ, like the man who built his house on the rock? Or are they going to ignore him, like the foolish builder, and build on sand? Okay, and that's my challenge to you guys tonight. What's going to be your response to this? For some of us, that may be entering in the narrow gate. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Please come talk to me or Mike. We would love to tell you more about that. What does that mean to put your faith to be justified by Christ? For some of us, that means we need to examine our lives. Does my life show the fruit of Christ? Am I abiding in Christ? Is there something I need to work on, something I need to strive better at? What commands am I not following? And then for all of us, what's our foundation? Have we trusted in Christ? Have we listened to his word? Have we acted on it? Okay. Um, I'm a history nerd. And so as I was reading through this conclusion and kind of the hint, I, I thought about all the times in history where very clear warnings, very clear uh, call is given and people ignore it to their destruction. So I was thinking about um, in 79, there was a, a town in Italy that strange things started to occur. Um, they started to have tremors. They started to have uh, the water started to boil Uh, All the animals left the town and they completely ignored the message. Then Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered Pompeii. So if you know that story, everyone was destroyed. Or maybe more recently, uh, in 1812, there was uh, a colonel in the French uh, uh, army that was asked to give a report to his commander if this invasion should happen, an invasion in 1812. And he told them, if you do this, it will destroy your army, it'll destroy the country, it'll destroy your career, it will destroy everything, don't do it. Well, his commander, a guy named Napoleon Bonaparte, ignored him and he went into Russia with 600,000 troops and came back with 30,000 troops complete destruction. And then you probably know what happened to him after that. They capture him, they throw him in prison, they exile him, okay, because he didn't listen to the message, all right? Uh, 1912, I'll give you another example. Um, 1912, there was a ship called the Masaba that was out in the North Atlantic and kept running into icebergs. And so they announced a warning to all the ships behind them. All the ships listened except one. Do you know what ship that was? The Titanic. The Titanic heard the message and didn't act on it. And we all know who that turned out, okay? And that's what Jesus is saying. I've given you the warning. I've given you the message. I've given you the path. Are you going to listen or are you gonna sink? Are you gonna be destroyed by the volcano or are you gonna sink like the Titanic? What is your reaction going to be? Are you going to listen to the words of Jesus, place your faith in him, or are you gonna make your foundation something else? 
for all those other examples in history, they placed their faith in themselves, they ignored the message. Okay, are you going to do that tonight? All right, so let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the Sermon of the Mount and just Christ's teaching on what we should be doing here as we await uh, your second coming. Lord, I pray that we are examining our own hearts to see are we abiding in you, are we exhibiting fruit of you, Lord, or, or are we dependent on our own ability, okay, are we listening to culture? Lord, I just pray that we are searching our hearts to see what is our true foundation, what are we putting our hope in? And Lord, I just thank for everyone here tonight who braved the storm to come and, and just worship you and to hear your word, Lord. And I pray uh, that as we leave this place, we take the word of God and we listen. And Lord, I just thank you for everyone here in your name. Amen.